following is a Journey into Comics Network production. Hey, this is Veronica from Foodies Watching Movies, and you're listening to the Journey into Comics Network Best of the Week show. Highlights from all the episodes on the network this week. Enjoy! Piss off, guys! Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Journey into Comics! I saw the Bumblebee trailer initially, like I saw that they shared it, and I was like, I don't give a fuck. I could give two shits about this dumb fucking movie. Quit making Transformers movies. <laughs> and then I actually watched it, and I was like, holy shit, that looks really cool. I'm like actually excited to see it. I was totally yeah. misled. I thought that John Cena was going to be the uh, the good guy in this movie, and it seems he is totally not the good guy. He's like the bad dude, which is awesome. So I I didn't even it's see like him a, in the trailer. Really? He's the he's the lead <laughs> general. He's the lead general. Nate. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had I okay, I'm I'm not oh, gonna lie. You I stole that me. joke. We you were at can't lunch. See me, you motherfucker. Yeah, we were at lunch and uh you Tyler brought it up. Uh, Brando had already seen it and he, and he made the joke and he's like, yeah, I didn't even see John Cena in the trailer and it went over my head then, but Tyler got it right away, took a set couple seconds for Joe and then Brandon just starts chuckling. <laughs> I'm like, man, it's oh good. God it's damn a good it. Cause I wasn't, I was also like doing my own thing while listening to them talk, but I was like, oh man, that was bad. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for Transformers movies, I kind of stopped watching them a while ago, but this is one yeah. that kind of draws me in. Like, I would actually probably check this movie out. Mm-hmm. The Last Night wasn't terrible. It wasn't as bad as Age of Extinction or Dark of the Moon, but and I guess they're all not the best anyways, but uh, Last I Night I didn't hate the bad. first one. I didn't either. I liked and Revenge the of the Fallen more. wasn't that bad either. I mean, let's I liked be real. it more than the first, mostly because in the first movie... Uh, I was so pissed off about all the Transformer fights. I was like, oh, cool, up close grinding gears. That's awesome. Next movie. Man, the Transformer noise, too. Yeah, and then next movie. Oh, shit, you can actually see them duking it out and fighting, and it's not up close, super, like seeing all the gears turning and grinding up against each other and sparks flying. And I was like, oh, cool, I can actually see what's going on. This is what I want. You know, another trailer came out. I don't know what you thought about this one, but the end of the Spider-Verse trailer, trailer mm-hmm, two mm-hmm. dropped. Yes. And, and it I'm, seems that like uh, Miles Morales is now in the Spidey-Verse 616. So he's like where regular Peter Parker is, but he's not the only one. And it seems like they're bringing like, I loved the art style of the thing. Like it had some comic book like pals yeah, and stuff and whatnot weird. that were really cleverly done. Yeah. And like the animation is uh, really nifty as well. Yeah, it's got it's kind of got like the sluggish like animating st- animated style like the motion of it is, but it works. It um, almost reminds me of Kubo and the Two Strings. Okay, I haven't seen that yet. You should. It's very good. I've heard. I've heard. It's on Netflix, I believe. Yeah. So I might have to check that out. Um but yeah, it was cool, and I, I almost immediately recognized Peter Parker's voice. Um, I can't remember his name, but he was in Jurassic World. Uh, he, he played the guy – I think his name's Nick in real life. Uh, but he played this guy that – he had the the, Jurassic, the original Jurassic Park shirt on and all the 
action like collectible action figures on his desk. Um, they gave him shit for it. Like, oh, that uh, I thought his name was Jack Johnson. I'll, I'll, you look I'll, it up. You Google machine this one. Yes. Okay, so I'll, just, um, I'll look up the actual IMD IMDb for Into the Spider Verse. Smart, super smart. Uh, it's cool because we don't just get the Miles Morales thing at the end of the trailer. We get the reveal of Spider Gwen. Yeah, like Jake Johnson, by the way. Jake Johnson, not Jack Johnson. Jake. Uh, and Leave Schraber. Wow. Who's he playing? Morlin. Morlun, Morlun. Whoa, they're doing the Morland storyline. Okay, so Morlin. That's fucking awesome. He, okay, Morlin is from the end of the Spider-Verse storyline that came out a couple years ago, like 2015, I think. And um, Morlin is essentially this dude. His family lives off the energy of people who have the spider power. And he travels interdimensionally to find spider people and steal them of their life force. He essentially utilizes Madam Web as like the launch point to use and to break through the Spider-Verse and find all these different people. And it's crazy because in that storyline, there are hundreds of Spider-Men from different universes. Yeah. It's like one of them is Ben Parker. Like Peter got shot and killed that night and Ben becomes Spider-Man. But he's old and kind of not really that good at being a superhero. He's just trying his damnedest, you know, but he's like a little sluggish. And then there's like Spider Punk and Spider Pig and fucking um, Spider Pig. The, the British Spider, I think, is one of them. And there's like the Japanese Spider-Man. They even have nods to Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man in the comic universe, making them essentially canon. OK, to... so I'm going to say this real quick. Sure. Uh, this is okay. So this is just I type in into the Spider Verse cast, and that's what Google gives me at the very top. It's their um, list. I go to IMDb, and it's a different list because I just happen to notice um, Jake Johnson is listed as the Kingpin on the Google one, but and then I go to IMDb, and it says Peter Parker, Spider Man. Uh, Leave Schraber, however, is the Kingpin. Oh, ooh, that's interesting casting. Uh, and I don't see Moreland anywhere on this, on IMDb. Damn it. Oh, uh, but, I hope they but do it would make sense. Line. It would be cool. After what yeah. you just told me, it makes sense. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he is in it. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, man, that story is really fucking cool, dude. It's a really great read. Uh, I, I think I can get you access to that through my Marvel account. Uh, if you're ever looking to read some comics and get okay. and get like dive deep into that, because into the Spider Verse, that story is awesome. They did a like five book intro before that called Edge of Spider Verse, which introduced your Gwen Stacy, who is alive in the universe, mm -hmm. not Gwen. dead. Uh, Spider Gwen, yeah, uh, and like that's shocking. Again, Parker died; she lived; she survives Pete and becomes the the, the female Spider Man. Um, yeah, I'm stoked for that movie, and I feel like people are like, it's probably not going to do that good, but I think I'll go see it in theaters, honestly. I think it would be worth it to see it in the theaters. Oh, definitely. Um, I'll go see it. Like Incredibles 2 that's next week. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, that's next week. Shit. Oh, yes, it is. I wish I wish uh, Miranda's kids were old enough to take to the movies. 
I mean, they're four and five, but it's just like, ah. Oh, that's a stress and a fear. Yeah, so I'm sitting Don't there like, cry, don't scream, don't have a tantrum. Yeah, and I'm like, man, I want to take them so that they can enjoy this awesome movie, but I, I want to be selfish and be like, I want to enjoy this movie. <laughs> so, yeah. Totally. I totally vibe that, man. We took Ollie wait. to see uh, Spider-Man Homecoming when he was like just oh, yeah? turned four, I think, or just turned three maybe. I'm not sure. I can't remember. 2017, last year. He was just turned four. Yeah, because he'll turn five okay. this year. So we took him to the movies for the first time, and it was like really good. And then we just found out last weekend that his dad took him to see Infinity War in theaters. Interesting. He sat through the whole fucking movie. Ollie loved it. Man. Thought it was great. Uh, Maverick, Miranda's son, he is super into the Marvel characters. Like, he's gone from. Uh, he was obsessed. He's he's still pretty obsessed with Captain America, but he uh, he's been getting into uh, the Flash. So going over to DC, but uh, he's he's a big fan of the Flash. He's a big fan of uh, Black Panther. He he, he uh, she told him that I got Black Panther. And he's like, oh my god, he needs to bring it over so we can all watch it. I'm like, hell yeah, I'll watch I'll watch Black Panther with you, buddy. Funny that you say that. I watched that with my dad yesterday. It was nice. the last. It was the last Marvel movie he hadn't seen. He he saw Infinity War before he saw Black Panther. Oh yeah, yeah. And and he's let me tell you, my dad's like kind of old school, so he's real hit or miss with movies. Either he's gonna get like hooked immediately, or he's gonna mm-hmm. be like, I'm not fucking interested. Turn this shit off. Which he That's did how I initially am with. My dad. with well, with Doctor Strange, my dad's like, turn this shit off. I don't want to watch it. And I was like, no, trust me. It's really good. And like, we gave it a second watch and he liked it. But we watched the black, we we watched Black Panther last night and he was just glued to the TV, just like watching yeah. with his jaw, almost like open, like, holy shit, this story is incredible. And yeah, it's totally incredible. I even noticed a super tiny Easter egg. I don't know if anybody's even brought it up, but in T'Chaka's brother's apartment in... Compton, where the movie essentially starts. Uh, so Killmonger's dad, right? Who's with Zuri. Yeah. There's a Super Nintendo chilling in the background. From the suburbs of Chicago and Illinois, this is The Poor Report with your host, Andrew Poor. In the past couple of weeks, there's been a lot of Trump related, and this week especially, we have the G7 summit, the meeting with Kim Jong Un, uh, more trade news, some interesting facts about the president's habits when it comes to presidential documents. So we'll talk about all of that, and that's what we're going to jump to right away. Now, when I was preparing this episode, I was trying to figure out what to actually talk about. It's been kind of a hectic week in my personal life. I closed on my house, which I'll talk about on my other podcast I do with my lovely fiance Liz, called Adulting Ain't Easy. That'll be out a week from Wednesday, so a week from tomorrow, which is exciting for those of you listening. So check that out. It'll be all about our the home buying process, the closing, um, new home ownership. So definitely check that out if you have any interest whatsoever. That's it. Um, you can check that out at drainedacomics.com where you can find my show you can also check us out on social media at uh, it's all at adultingshard on Facebook and Twitter we don't have an Instagram but maybe in the future we will so 
But with that, I should probably jump into why you all came here, and that is the news. Now, I, I pulled these articles. I thought it was kind of interesting, some of the stuff. But I'm going to jump in with the fun one first. And that's just from a Politico article called Meet the Guy Who Tapes Trump's Papers Back Together. The president's unofficial filing system, in quotes, involves tearing up documents into pieces even when they're supposed to be preserved. Solomon Larty spent his first five months of the Trump administration working in the old executive office building, standing over a desk with scraps of paper spread out in front of him. Larty, who earned an annual salary of $65,969 as a records management analyst, was a career government official with close to 30 years under his belt. But he had never seen anything like this in any previous administration he had worked for. He had never had to tape the president's papers back together again. Armed with rolls of clear scotch tape, Lardy and his colleagues would sift through large piles of shredded paper and put them back together, he said, like a jigsaw puzzle. Sometimes they would just be split down the middle, but other times they would be torn into pieces so small they looked like confetti. It was a painstaking process that was a result of a clash between legal requirements to preserve White House records and President Donald Trump's odd and enduring habit of ripping up papers when he's done with them, what some people described as his unofficial filing system. Under the Presidential Records Act, the White House must preserve all memos, letters, emails, and papers that the president touches, send to the National Archives for safekeeping as historical records. But White House aides realized early on that they were unable to stop Trump from ripping up paper after he was done with it and throwing it in the trash or on the floor, according to people familiar with the practice, and said they chose to clean it up for him in order to make sure the president wasn't violating the law. Staffers said the fragments of paper collected from the Oval Office as well as from private residents and sent it over to records management across the street from the White House for Larky and his colleagues to reassemble. We got Scott's tape, the clear kind, Lardy recalled in an interview. You found pieces and taped them back together and then you gave it back to the supervisor. The restored papers would then be sent to National Archives to be properly filed away. Lardy said the papers he received included newspaper clips on which Trump had scribbled notes or circled words, invitations, and letters from constituents or lawmakers on the Hill including Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. I had a letter from Schumer. He tore it up, he said. It was the craziest thing. He, even, he ripped papers into tiny pieces. Lord did not work alone. He had his, his entire apartment was dedicated to the task of taping, back, of taping paper back together in the opening months of the Trump administration. One of his colleagues, Reginald Young Jr., who worked as a senior records management analyst, said that during over two decades of government service, he had never been asked to do such a thing. We had to endure this under the Trump administration, Young said. I'm looking at my director and saying, are you guys serious? We're making more than $60,000 a year. We need to be doing far more important things than this. It felt like the lowest form of work you can take on without having to empty the trash cans. The White House did not comment on the president's paper-ripping habit, according to Young and Larty. Staffers in the records department were still designated to the task of taping together the scraps as recently as this spring. Larty and Young described a system that stands in stark contrast to how records... Management was conducted under the Obama administration, which ran a structured paperwork process. All of the official paper that went into the Oval Office came back out again, to the best of my knowledge, said Lisa Brown, who served as President Barack Obama's first staff secretary. I never remember the president throwing any official paper away. Brown describes a regiment process for dealing with presidential records. She said all paper that was going to the president would go in a folder with labels, one color for decision memos, for example, and another one for letters. Documents would go out of... To the president, then come back to the staff secretary's office in the same folder for distribution and handling. It really was a structured process. 
Brown said, Obama and I on preserving documents for history, even ones he was not technically required to send to the National Archives. I remember the day he sent down to me his race speech from the campaign handwritten, who said, all the campaign material didn't need to come to the, into the White House or go to the archives. Trump, in contrast, does not have any of those preservationist instincts. One person familiar with how Trump operates in the Oval Office said he would rip up anything that happened to be on his desk that he was done with. Some aides advised him to stop, but the habit proved difficult to break. Despite the president's apparent disregard of the Presidential Records Act, sources said aides around him have tried to take an overly inclusive approach to what would be considered a presidential record. Anything that's not purely personal, even just a note handed to an aide at a rally that was passed on to Trump, has been considered a record deemed worthy of being sent to records, which staffers could make sure the White House was being compliant with the law. The team is now smaller after many of the career officials were cleared out earlier this year. Lardy, 54, and Young, 48, were career government officials who worked together in records management until this spring when both were abruptly terminated from their jobs. Both are now unemployed and still full of questions about why they were stripped of their badges with no explanation and marched off the White House grounds by Secret Service. Irene Parada, the head of Human Resources who personally terminated both men, did not respond to an email requesting comment. A White House spokesman also did not respond to a request for comment about the termination. Young agreed to speak to Politico after this reporter contacted him to inquire about his termination. He then put the reporter in touch with Lardy, whose story of his dismissal and the work he is asked to do during his final year of work under the Trump administration corroborated Young's account. Both men originally speak to Politico for a story about why they believe they were unfairly terminated from jobs they expected to hold on to until they retired. Both of their forced to sign resignation letters without being given an explanation for why they were being dismissed. In the course of explaining what their work at the White House entailed, however, both described in detail the process of taping back together scraps of paper that the president had ripped up and thrown out. Both said they were happy to discuss the oddity of a job they began to view as a sort of punishment. They did not, however, approach a reporter with the intent to leak embarrassing information about the president. Lardy said he was fired at the end of the workday on March 23rd with no warning. His top secret security clearance was revoked, he said. Later, five boxes of his personal belongings were mailed to his home. I was stunned, he said. I asked them. Why can't you all tell me something? I've gotten comfortable. I was going to retire. I would have never thought I would have gotten fired. He signed a pre-written resignation letter that said he was leaving to pursue other opportunities, but he is still unemployed. Young, who was terminated April 19th, said he fought back and had his official status changed from resigned to terminated. I was coerced to sign a resignation letter at the time. Then they escorted me to the garage and took my parking placard. He described the firing as traumatic and frustrating. The only excuse I've ever gotten from them, he said, was that you serve at the pleasure of the president. So, that's the end of the article, and it's kind of interesting. It wouldn't surprise me if this is true, but this also could be a story about two guys who were wrongfully terminated or acting out and spreading this kind of story. Both could be accurate. It's kind of hard to say here, but I'm leaning towards there just being some cuts across the board and some positions being removed but the fact that president trump tears up his documents or rips it in two and throws it away is not all unsurprising given how you get from just anytime he talks or how his physical presence is in places that's not even something i do but that's that's just me i guess with that i'll move on to more important news and that was regarding the g7 summit that happened earlier this past week so the first thing involves uh, a viral photo that came from Germany regarding the G7. 
So the GSM photo that went viral Saturday appeared to say 1,000 words. President Trump sitting with his arms crossed with German Chancellor Angela Merkel facing him. Leaning forward and surrounded by other leaders, released by the German federal government, it contrasted heavily with the official White House photos that showed more conciliary photos conciliatory photos of Mr. Trump and the other world leaders. The photo from Merkel's office went viral Saturday before Mr. Trump retracted his earlier signing of the final statement. Red meat, we crave sustenance. Guys, we are not invading my aunt. I am your host, Veronica, and with me as always is my co-host, Nate. How's it going? It's good. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. I'm very full. I'm ready to, to discuss some stuff. Uh, we've got some special guests this evening. Tonight we are hanging out with my mom and her Hi. friend David. This is my mom, Josette, and Hello. David. Hello. <laughs> We're really excited to be here tonight on this fabulous podcast. Well, good. I'm glad to have you. Yeah. I talk about you enough on here, you know. It's I true. know. <laughs> I heard about the whole Children of the Corn episode. <laughs> I remember where that, Where I yeah. totally got slammed. I didn't know you were going to listen to that yeah, one. <laughs> I'm glad I did. Now I know how you really feel about your childhood, Veronica. That you traumatized me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you can accept that it happened and we can move on. We can move on. Okay, great. So, Maybe. David Lee, what's up, man? How you doing? Good, good. That's, glad to be here. That's great. I'm glad to have you on, man. Uh, have you guys seen anything cool recently in the theaters? We've seen something uncool. Oh, uncool. We like hearing about uncool Please stuff. Please do tell, because yes. I know somebody else who also saw this movie that you're about to talk about that was really jazzed to see this movie. Um, and I'm curious to see what she thought about it, too. Yeah, she's Our co-host, Lauren. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Lauren. I think I think the the big thing is here is how uncool this movie actually was. It was called Heredity, Hereditary, mm-hmm. Hereditary. Yes. Lauren was talking to us about how she wanted to see this movie when it came out. I said I had no interest in seeing it because I really don't know what it's about. Uh, do you want to enlighten me? I believe, according to the Tomato Meter, it had a ninety-eight percent approval. We're the two percent. Wow. What What about it? Didn't you like? We were looking forward to this movie. Um, I think we were like we were like a, a level ten excited to go see it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I really was because mm-hmm. I love witch movies and I love horror movies. And, and this is supposed to be a scary movie, right? Oh yeah, it was supposed to be scary. I had just read an article on Facebook that it was one of the most terrifying movies, and um, so I was really excited to go see it. Okay, well you really like scary movies. Mm-hmm. I, however, like old scary movies that aren't really scary. You know, I like the cheese factor, but things like ghost movies and witch movies and stuff that might be plausible just kind of freak me out right i think deadpool 2 was a bit scarier than this. <laughs> wow okay that yeah. bad huh so, yeah. um, so. it's weird because i think that people said this movie was like you know ultimate scare and whatnot you said it was suspense but it doesn't really have the payoff mm. is kind of i mean you want to answer that? So <clears throat> you can so, get full so into spoilers. It's cool. So here's the yeah, spoil here's it away. The, here's the three parts of this movie. One is the suspense. Uh, the second is the plot, and then the third would be the the family dynamics. And the suspense part of it was actually okay, but it was a slow burner, and there was this this anticipation that something was going to happen. The first half of the movie is leading up to. Mm-hmm. I guess we were waiting and waiting and waiting, and it would right. have a little bit of jump scares and things like that. So in terms of creating an eerie tone, they kind of maintain this eerie tone throughout the whole thing, which they actually did a pretty good job on. Uh, 
the thing that really knocked it, I think that really made it really good was the family dynamics. It had a very dysfunctional family dynamic. But by the time that it's all liked. done, yeah, you kind of <laughs> liked it, how they interacted and how they kind of bashed each other and like the mom Ro- tried to get Like Roseanne dysfunctional? or uh, A little bit worse. Okay, okay. Yeah. A, little a, little, worse. a little bit worse than it that. It was a little bit worse because the mom actually... Uh, you know, inherited this witchery from her mother. She didn't know she had inherited it. And she um, would sleepwalk. And so the dysfunction came in where she like try, slept, walked, and tried to light her uh, children on fire with Jesus lighter flames. So, so, so you so throw. This is not a movie for you, me. No, it's actually. So you, they threw that in the middle of it. They, they, I can't believe you tried to kill me in my sleep and cover me in gasoline and light me <laughs> sure, on fire. Sure, as I'll one never would. be able to trust you. And they introduced that as one of the big riffs in this family. But okay. it served no point really in the whole plot yeah so she's just an awful person that has this problem no she's kind of nuts she's a little bit crazy perhaps but even that had nothing to do with the witchcraft theme so what they did is they decided to throw in about three or four unrelated elements that created an eeriness to it but there was no path there was no connection whatsoever right really on the i'm gonna go light my son on fire aspect <laughs> while sleepwalking so like they never really addressed a bad name. it was just kind of <clears throat> yeah okay okay let me just sum it up <clears throat> say like i spent an hour making pancakes and you were watching me make pancakes and you were anticipating the pancakes and the whole time you could smell them and you knew they were going to be good and by the time they got done like an hour later I took the pancakes and flipped them over and dropped them on the floor and then told you that the eighth king of hell is uh, responsible and then just go downstairs that's the movie wow <laughs> that sounds awful so they just like write it off into the sunset that's that this how is I felt there was no nothing really was congruent it was it was stupid honest that to god yeah. it's kind of like this so so imagine if you're watching but it was like my pancakes imagine if you're watching the shining right and the shining's okay. a pretty good movie and imagine if right smack dab in the middle of it jack nicholson tells a story of when he was a little kid and i got attacked by dogs and he almost died and it was this big moment in his life mm-hmm. <clears throat> And it had nothing to do with anything. Okay. It was smack dab in the middle of it. And you're wondering, what the heck does that have to do right. with anything? Right. There were little pieces like that that kind of threw the whole thing. Do you think they were just trying too hard? <clears throat> what yes. they were trying to do is adding these eerie elements. For example, there was another part where the mom – so the mom uh, designs uh, little dollhouses. She designs – she's an artist, and mm-hmm. she designs these really detailed – little art things. Mm-hmm. So throughout the whole thing, she's trying to get this ready for some display. I believe so, it's called assemblage. <clears throat> So it actually was kind of interesting seeing her paint, and she would paint her mother and paint the kids exact replicas of her own home. Because that's not creepy mm-hmm. at all. Well, it, it, it looked creepy. But <laughs> or witchery at all. Well, but right. that has nothing to do with the whole movie. It doesn't Damn. have anything. It, there's yeah. nothing to do with the, right. the things. So they're just trying to create an atmosphere, and there's no payoff. They were right. creating an atmosphere. That Another sucks. example. For, Amateur. Um, so the, the youngest daughter gets decapitated by the son. Why? Because. Early on. Whoa. Early on. He's right. driving okay. while smoking weed. Which was a cool scene because you literally <clears throat> see her smash her face mm-hmm. into a telephone pole. She uh, gets decapitated. So fast forward a I half an hour. No need to see that at no. all. Mm, so fast forward a half an hour later, she's she's designing a diorama, an exact replica of the telephone pole and the car and her daughter getting decapitated. Jesus. And the husband is like, why are you doing that? And she's like, because it's art. Now, Great. what does that have to do? It, it introduces this weird, creepy... Why is the mother doing this? Right. There's no reason the mother is doing right. it. It has nothing to do with Other the entire than the fact plot. fact that she has psychological 
apparently. Right. So they added this kind of mental illness weirdness component hmm. combined with this this you know a coven basically that right. had been manipulating this family to try to get some big payoff at the end. And there was no so, payoff. No, it's like taking an old 1960s Karen Black movie which mm-hmm. you know where the the coven is mm-hmm. is manipulating the girl or the sorority girl or mm-hmm. the or the lone girl or whatever it is and in the end surprise big reveal the big coven reveals itself and they're worshiping satan or whatever it is so that's basically what the movie is except Mm -hmm. let's add mental illness and some weird stuff and some little lazy 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 like Mm -hmm. oh like deadpool said lazy writing lazy writing sounds like lazy writing if they had done like for example there's a movie uh, i think it was house of the devil that just came a few a few years ago it's a b throwback to those old Karen Black kind of where in the end it's really about a coven that shows up to kind of torture this girl and sacrifice her to Satan if they had if they had intentionally embraced that that B Mm -hmm. feeling that throwback thing but it was like they were trying to be super super serious Mm -hmm. and introduce this effect so they were camp would be make it a little bit more fun and less Mm -hmm. it sounds to me the way you're describing it makes it sound super dreary right and just all atmosphere for the sake of art that's exactly what it was and they added on these saying that it's art now i'm sure unrelated elements to increase that atmosphere Mm -hmm. but that had nothing to do with the plot so that Mm -hmm. kills it when there's no payoff well, in the end, it just got crazy business. In the end, we don't even know what the heck happened. In right. the end, it was like They conjured like the nuts. eighth king of hell. We're gonna We're fuck gonna the sodomites in, in the... I'm looking at my topic list. So, Metalocalypse. Tastes like pot of gold, just not as good. Hall of Fame. Metalocalypse has been uh, put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Have they been or have they been nominated to go in? That's a good question. I thought they were nominated. I didn't Maybe they they've just been nominated. Yet, I don't know. Been. Maybe I jumped the gun on that. Why, why is this a relevant thing? Because why is it it's a thing, or why is it relevant? Honestly, like I wouldn't. I mean, because they're a, they're a fake band, but they're a real band. By Metalocalypse, we mean Death Clock. Yeah. Uh, they're not an active band because Comedy Central owns the rights to, or Comedy Central or or not Comedy Central, uh, Adult Swim owns the rights to Metalocalypse and the Death Clock name. So therefore, Brandon Small can't uh, tour or make music under the Death Clock name. So, so the, the, here's where I stand. Then, so as far if we're gonna start doing fake bands, but they're a real band. They should be inducted or nominated as Death Clock then, and not Metalocalypse. I think that's what they are. I, I, the thing that I saw the other day said Metalocalypse. Well, because because people like to put for headlines things that are going to grab people's attention if they're a real Either band way, and they have Clock a real following then death clock in the headlines but should... most people know them from the show metalocalypse then they don't really follow the band most people are also idiots and don't pay attention to details like that now <laughs> i don't look at it that way if you like a band you like a band yeah I, for sure I, yeah if I, agree. I like if i like shinedown i'm not going to i'm not going to think of shinedown as 
Whippersnapper and the Rocky Talks. So like that's a, that's the dumbest name I could pull out of my ass. No, you're you're gonna think of oh that one band that plays barrel bottom of forty five whatever. If we're gonna do this, <laughs> God, I hate you. If they're gonna do this, you know, does that open the door for Spinal Tap? If unless they're already in or not. But I mean, like, yeah. What about that Sco- was what about Scooby Doo's band? <clears throat> wow. Simple Plan. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> like Shaggy and Velma and fucking yeah, yeah. Fred. <clears throat> but I mean. I don't know. But yeah, Death Clock is a real band and are, I don't know. Are they like are they like Hall of Fame material? No. I don't no. think so. Absolutely not. You make the same argument like the whole Sylvester Stallone in the boxing Hall of Fame just cuz it was a he was a, in a fucking movie that made the the sport so fucking big. Yeah. But but you know like see that see I would disagree <clears throat> with you there though because that's actually doing something for the sport so you've I mean that it, it's grasping at straws, but at least he did something for the sport. What has Death Clock done for metal? Not shit. Nothing. Honestly, See, and that's my argument. Spinal Tap's actually made like lists. oh yeah, Spinal Tap. I think they've made actual lists for uh, top you know metal or rock right. songs. Like Even Spinal Tap's legendary for yeah. being fake. Yeah, and like there, it's a legendary movie. It's it's a cult classic, yeah. if you will. And it's just like, but they can still actually, you know, play. It wasn't a yeah, fucking cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 weird. But like, okay, so you just said something weird there. They can actually play. It's not a cartoon. Well, I mean, there is I mean, an actual I, band behind I, I Death Clock. Gene Hoglund's in it. I know that for but fuck's sake. When when you're not when, when the article doesn't say Death Clock when it says. But that's that's what that's what stupid fucking uh, news blog sites like Metal Sucks and Metal Injection and Blabbermouth do. They put on the headline something stupid well, and clickbaity. Click yeah, yeah. clickbaity, and. Just something for you to click it, or not even click it and read it. Just right. something, just a headline for you to share, mm-hmm. that they know people aren't even gonna fucking read the article. It's true. So they're just gonna share it, and maybe someone will read, read the article. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, that's why I get pissed off reading a lot of those articles. Oh I yeah, I, I just it's read called... the headline and I move on. Um, exactly. It's the but... same thing with Rolling Stone. They put they post so much stupid shit. Do they mm-hmm. literally know anything about music? No. Rolling Stone hasn't done anything relevant with no. the music industry. I since I used to the get a sub- fucking nineties. Mm-hmm. I uh, I had a subscription to that, and I would get it once in a while. And they had one issue that came out. It's been years ago by now. It was literally like the top five hundred songs of all time. Yep. And there's some songs that made it that, and others that didn't. It made me go like, "What the fuck is wrong with them?" Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh god, your cousin Holly. Uh, she's commenting, Death Clock is one man who did tour. Uh, Death Clock is Brendan Small, technically one man, but he hires other people to do the rest of the music. Like He usually gets Gene Hoglund, uh for drums, and I don't really know the other people. I think is he's this ha- Dietrich that she's referring to? Or no, Death Clock. I thought that said Dietrich oh. right here. Yeah, and I mean, I technically Death Clock, yeah, it, it is Brendan Small. He writes all the music. Um very talent, very talented musician, and um, just very talented guy. He's a good guy. He's a he's a very talented guy. He's a dickhead, but he's a talented dude. Um, I mean, he he did home movies. Do you remember that show? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Metalocalypse, obviously, and I think he's, I feel like he's done other things, but those are the two things I know him for. Um, the singer of Cannibal Corpse. You are wrong. 
Um, Brendan Small does all the vocals and lead guitar. But like back to the Rolling Stone for a second. The I don't obviously remember all five hundred fucking songs, right? But uh, they put in the B fifty twos twice. You know, once for Love Shack. Obviously, everybody knows Love Shack. They love that song. Most people do. But they also had in their Rock Lobster in there. What? They had Rock Lobster in there as one of the 500 greatest songs of all time. And I'm not quite sure, but I think Van Halen had one, maybe even possibly no songs in the 500 greatest songs of all fucking time. I'm like... I remember you and I talked about we, this. I, I, I bitched about it when that first came out. Yeah. Rock Lobster. <laughs> I've never There's, even heard that fucking song. Rock Lobster. Uh, I've never heard that fucking you song. You may have just not given a fuck about it just because it's it's a stupid-ass song. I mean, there that that is also a very good possibility, yeah, but... It's just it's one of those never songs... Never fucking heard it. I, it's annoying. <laughs> I, I don't like it. It's stupid as hell. Definitely not one of the 500 greatest of all time. There's so many others that didn't make it, but that made it somehow... Well, and that, into, that just goes to show I've seen lists from other publications that put Madonna in the top 500 fucking rock artists of all time. Madonna's a pop artist. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. I wouldn't. I wouldn't personally. I wouldn't call most pop artists musicians anyway. Right. Um, there's some that are like fucking Adam Levine is a fantastic musician. Yeah. Um, Madonna <clears throat> is a fucking whore with gold teeth. Ah. So. I mean, <laughs> Madonna Rama died oh. a long time ago. We don't. Oh my God! I remember 2005. She came out with a single called. Uh... Do me in the ass. No, <laughs> it was like uh, I think it was "Can't Get You Out of My Head," and that fucking song. I hated it so much, but it would always be stuck, stuck, in, stuck in my head. Uh, God, remember, remember when uh, her and Britney and Christina sucked face? Yeah, uh, I, it was her I just, and Britney. I don't think it was Christina. No, her and Christina did too. It was Britney on the left or on her right, Christina <laughs> on her left, and then she kissed Britney, and then Chris kissed Christina after that. So. Hmm. All three of them were up there. All three of them sucked face. Did you see Christina on the Tonight Show when she did that Wheel of Musical Impressions? Yes. Oh, my. She did a good job. Lordy, lordy. Oh, I wasn't talking about her singing. Oh. Well, <laughs> she's very talented. Uh, of the pop stars, of like that, that group of pop stars that came out of the 90s, she's very talented. Avril Lavigne is not, or is dead. I didn't say anything about Avril Lavigne. She was early 2000. She was like mid, she's, early mid 2000s. She's actually a lizard person in a yes <laughs> we're pretty sure she died and was replaced yeah by a lizard person oh, in her suit and uh she married <laughs> chad kroger and that's a thing i don't <laughs> you mean a foot with hair the the the, the face face for a foot face or foot for, for a, a face, foot for a face. yeah good old chad kroger how creepy would it be to have faces on your feet <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Like, you just gave me an image that I don't ever want in my mind again, and I'm pretty sure it won't ever leave now. So, thanks, Sarah, pal. I'm fixing your gorilla feet with faces. I don't have gorilla feet. Bare feet. Whatever. I think you got, you got pretty manly feet. I have hobbit feet. Leave me be. I mean, they're they're meaty, hobbit though. Hobbit feet. They're like normal-shaped normal, normal shaped feet, but they're meaty. So they they look. I, have big feet I mean, I, 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 w I will say like they look like Hobbit feet minus the hair. Oh, I do. They're on my. I do. The, you got you got hairy toe knuckles, but just the, not up on the, the top feet of my foot. in general are not hairy. Oh my god! I do. Have I am feet, so glad this is a discussion right now. 
Are you getting aroused? Like <laughs> no, but I'm, you do I'm, have a thing for feet. I'm like half tempted to take my shoes, shoes and socks that, off. Does Miranda know you got a foot fetish? I don't have a foot fetish. So Olivia is in a pre-dance class uh, at the dance studio in town, and they just had their spring dance recital um, at the high school, uh, and you know we had to buy tickets, and the tickets were $10 in advance, $15 I believe at the door, which I mean for a kid's dance recital is a little over the top I feel, but but that's, that's not the point. The point, uh, so <laughs> I guess... Uh, do do you want to tell the story or do you want me to tell the story? Well, I mean, you go ahead. You go ahead. Let's hear it. Let's hear what, your version of it. Well, I get you know. So we get there, and Livy, I guess, was already freaking out. Like they, the, they had all the kids like in a hallway, kind of by the stage, not where everybody was coming in. And apparently, she was freaking out, saying she didn't want to go on stage. She didn't want everybody to laugh at her if she messed up which I don't know where she heard that but um so she's freaking out freaking out and um she so everybody was supposed to be in the opening number and then they all had their separate dances and then everybody was supposed to be in the closing number too many dances might I add way too many we we were go, hoping to go see Livy do her one dance, and it ended up turning into being there for two hours. Yeah. But, but yes. I digress. We'll, um, go on. So, you know, the opening number, Livy did not come out. And I, already I'm just like, you know, if I sit here through this whole freaking thing <laughs> and I don't see Livy dance, I'm going to, like, flip my shit. So she didn't come out for the opening number, right? So... Here comes her her dance. Um, a lot of the kids were in a couple dances, but she was just in the one in the middle. So, here comes her dance. And here, here, you know, here she comes going across the stage with her mother. Her mother is on the stage with her. Um, so I'm just like, what, what the hell? So I, I was recording it too on my phone, and I I felt super uncomfortable continuing recording while she was in the shot. So I was I was doing my best to cut her out of the shot, um, but but they were, she was holding Livy's hand, so it was yeah. kind of hard. So thankfully, she just went across the stage with Olivia once, and then got off to the side. I was fully expecting her to stay on the whole time. Um, so. Livy did end up doing her dance without her mother on the stage with her, even though her mom was well, on the side of the stage. I was going to say, her mom was still on the side of the stage, like at the very edge of where the curtain covered. So when they did certain moves, like there's this, uh, I don't know, for any of you that are familiar with dance, uh, it's a chape. It's where they, it's almost like a jumping jack. They put their arms out and, and their feet out. And every time she did that, you just see like an adult hand sticking out the side of the curtain and it was it was kind of ridiculous yeah i mean if, if livy didn't look so damn cute in that little blue outfit <laughs> that would have just ruined the whole thing for me but so she did her dance and uh you know that was over then the closing number comes 
and she didn't come out again. And then they did awards. She didn't come out again. So during, I think right before the closing number, you're like, so Jess came, which is Chris's ex-wife and Mark and Libby's mom. She came out and made Chris get up and, and leave the auditorium. To try to go calm Livy down, which but, I I had told her from the very beginning when she she came and tapped me on the shoulder and said Livy's freaking out and I, I immediately said well just let her you know leave her leave her back there you know the people that run the dance class they are used to dealing with kids they can manage a crying kid for a few minutes and as soon as we leave her alone it'll be five minutes she'll be done crying get it out of her system and she'll be ready to go but you know she wouldn't leave her alone. So Chris leaves to go try to calm Libby down. And then here comes Libby down the aisle by herself, perfectly fine, not crying. And then um, somebody, I think maybe Jess's brother maybe might have led her out to go find where Chris and her mom went. And then she was just, after the recital, she was flipping out and it... It was just a freaking disaster. When they presented the awards, Livy got a certificate for, you know, completing her first year of dance, and uh, they she threw it at Jess. Yeah, they walked they walked it over and handed it to Livy, who was standing at the edge of the stage. And as soon as Livy grabbed it, she just threw it out like behind this behind the curtain. I'm I was I was taping not taping I was recording. How old are you? Uh, yeah, I know I'm old. Um, so I was recording up to when they gave her the certificate and then when I saw that she wasn't taking the certificate I cut it and then as soon as I cut the video that's when she grabbed the certificate and threw it and I just I wish I had kept going just just two seconds longer I would have got a good video of that it would have been funny but you know I, I guess at least Jess did her I mean not Jess what the hell Olivia did her dance <laughs> well Jess, Jess did, did her too, dance yeah. too <laughs> so, so at least we saw Olivia do her dance or else that would and have just been like the biggest waste it was super adorable um and actually I, I have I posted a video of it on on my personal Facebook maybe uh after we're done recording this episode I can tag it on the uh kids for sale Facebook page and maybe try to get it on Instagram I'm still new to Instagram so I'm I'm uh not too savvy with how to get stuff posted there um but I'm trying to trying to learn for the show um but yeah maybe check out after, by the time this show drops, you should the video should be up on the Facebook page, so you can see the video of Livy doing her recital dance. And, and uh, if you and watch carefully on the on the right hand side of the video, you can see her well, mother dancing behind the curtain. Carefully to see her <laughs> go across the stage with well, her in the first I, place. So when she started going across the stage, I cut the video because, oh, like you? I said, I didn't I didn't want her in it. I mm-hmm. wanted just Livy in it. So I saw her coming across the stage. I cut the video for about the first fifteen seconds until her mom got across God, the stage and the walked off. And then I started recording after she walked off. Um, but yeah, that, it was it was uncomfortable and it was ridiculous. And, and let me just note that that was the only parent that yeah, did that the the entire show. And there were there was another kid or two, at least one kid. The that, boy, that one boy. Yeah, which actually that's a, a friend of ours. Well, a friend of mine that I used to work with and I actually graduated with. with her, but yeah. her kid was freaking out too. And actually, it was funny when they. They presented the awards. He was standing at the front of the stage, just crying. crying. Like he saw, he saw his mom, and he was like reaching for her, but she was like trapped in the front section, like people on both sides of her. She couldn't get out. Uh, He was just standing there crying. So somebody luckily came and grabbed him and walked him out to his mom. But that was funny. But she didn't go up on the stage and 
you know, hold hands across the stage. Please, people, don't don't be helicopter parents. Yeah, it's it's, the worst. it's not necessary. I know you don't want your kid crying, and it, you know it's it's not it's not easy to leave a crying kid, you know, with people that they barely know. But like, if you sign someone up for a dance class or a or the sports or whatever, you know, those people that are coaching, those people that are teaching. They are used to dealing with kids. Kids cry a lot. They know how to handle it. So, you know, just trust them, you know, trust them to handle the situation. If, if you if you just stand there holding hands every time, they're going to expect that from you every single time. And then you'll have to do it every single time. And then you'll be those parents suing their son to move out of their house at 30. Something <laughs> yeah, yeah the kid, the guy. Well, I guess he's not a kid, huh? Yeah. He's older than you. Yeah. Yep. He sure um, is. <laughs> um, yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. It's the worst. Helicopter parents are the worst. They're they're worse than their kids, usually. But yeah, I mean, it's very hard with Chris's kids because you know she Coddles. she's a helicopter parent at their house. But then we we want the kids to be a little more independent. I mean, we're there for them when we, they need us, but. We try to make the kids a little more independent, so that makes it very hard. And they know they know at this point not to try that stuff when they're over here because we don't let them do it. And that's all it takes. You just got to be a little bit firm with them a couple of times. And it, it sucks sometimes, you know, leaving them sobbing. It, it It's hard. It's heartbreaking. Um, but they get over it pretty quick, you know. And, and if you keep doing it, kids aren't stupid. They're going to know that you're going to do it every time. So they'll take advantage of it as much as they can because that's what kids do. They take advantage of every situation they can. Um, so yeah, that was the dance recital. Uh, there was something else I wanted to talk about. Where were we going to move on from there? The uh, weekend, wasn't it? Oh yeah. So here's something exciting. So with uh, with the way our uh, child custody uh, agreements worked out. Uh, with both my me and my ex and Ashley and her ex, um, we end up having every other weekend uh, to ourselves, basically. Uh, my kids will be with their mom, and Ashley's daughter will be with her dad every other weekend. So we get a Friday night and a Saturday night to ourselves. It's time for Brews with Dudes. Ah, juicy. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Brews with Dudes. I'm your host, Nick Maxson, once again, sitting here down at the North End Pub with Casey Taylor. How are you doing, Casey? I'm doing fantastic. How about you, Nick? I'm doing really good. I feel like we're about to be doing a lot better. Um, We are about to have, have... this is going to be one of my favorite episodes, I can tell, because we're smashing some Weldworks out of Colorado. Um, you can't really get them unless you go there, um, but we have a good friend who visits there often enough, and uh, he was kind enough to bring some of these back. They're all wild. Every single one of these is totally crazy. We've got a red velvet cake, blonde stout, an oatmeal cream pie stout, a nutty bar stout, and then a double blackberry milkshake, New England-style IPA. So every single one of these is going to be totally wild. Um, we're also sitting here with Creed. How you doing, Creed? I'm all right. How y'all doing? 
we're gonna get we're gonna get better. And we're also sitting here with uh, with Mr. Tommy. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. I'm waiting on some nutty buddy. Yes, it's we're get, we're gonna get there. It'll be easier to get to since we uh, since we got several of us sitting here. So yeah. let's start with the uh, let's start with this red velvet cake, shall we? Interesting, interesting. I, yeah, that's uh, that's not the color that I thought it was going to be. Wow. So newsflash, guys, the shit is red. <laughs> I mean, when you hear it in the name, you I mean, it clearly says red velvet on it, but you wouldn't think it. I just did not think <laughs> it was I was still thinking red. blonde velvet. Uh, it's 7.4%. Uh, it says it's a blonde ale, but I didn't expect it to be dark, but I didn't expect it to be red. So, all right, boys, cheers. Let's see what we got. Mm. I got that cocoa powder at the end. That's interesting. Yeah. Creamy. It is very creamy. Mm. I could deal with this. I'm not a stout fan, but I could deal with this. Yeah, this isn't too bad at all. Let's see I'm what we got. I'm Blonde. trying to di di digest, like, dissect <laughs> how I feel about this. Like, it's good, but I'm trying to think about all the taste because... There's it a gets lot so, going on. Yeah, it gets so confused by the color, what I thought it was going to be like, what I, I thought it was going to taste like, and how it actually does taste. It's good. I could sit here and drink this all day. <laughs> I don't know if I could drink it all day. Let's see. It is a blonde milk stout with cocoa powder, red velvet cake mix, and vanilla. I wanted a light stout. I can't pick out the individual flavors, but it tastes good. Yeah. It's I like real that's creamy. That's the dominant thing to me. Yeah, creamy and some cocoa. That's what I'm getting. But it's good. It's smooth. It definitely tastes like a milk stout. Yeah. The cream for sure. Yeah. It's pretty all right. What are you, what are you most excited about out of these? Oh, without a doubt, the Nutty Butter. Nutty Buddy. Bar. I mean, I was the fat kid <laughs> at lunch that had a Nutty Butter bar every day. Like, I was instant when they had the snack. I don't know if you guys had the snack bar thing where it opened up and you could buy all the not good stuff after the, you had to eat a normal yeah. lunch. Mm -hmm. There'd be days I'd keep my normal lunch money and just buy four <laughs> Nutty Bars. I mean, it's in part while I was fat. But that, and there's also the oatmeal cream pie stout, which ironically, if I, cream wasn't, pie. If I wasn't buying Nutty Bars, I was buying oatmeal cream pies. So, pretty excited. We should have saved some of this and done a suicide at the end. Just all of it? A bit of all of them. That would have been all right. Something tells me it still tastes good, too, actually. Mm -hmm. I bet you that blackberry would, would override a lot of it. So what do we got next? I think next we're going to jump into that oatmeal cream pie. 7.2%. Okay. These are all ass whoopers. See, I feel like these guys are influenced by Little Debbie, you know. So my granny always <laughs> ate the cream pies a lot, and my dad ate Nutty Buddies every day for decades. So I'm kind of excited mm. here. Oh, yeah, me too. All right. What's well, part of the fun stuff in the last five years? I feel like beers have just came leaps and bounds to the stuff they're trying. Mm. It's something. All right, let's see what we got here. All right, let's see if we'll be surprised by the pour again. Darker than I thought. Cream pals were light brown. This stuff yeah. looks like motor oil. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so far 0 for 2 on the <laughs> what I thought it was going to look like and how it came out. I so Yeah. Yeah, you did a good job on that, Nick. You did a real good. That's going to be down the hatch. <laughs> I thought you would appreciate that. Oh yeah, though. All right. Let's see what we got. Pretty good. Dank. Mm. That is pretty good. It got like a bubbly, like to a pop, like a soda. It's bubbly. got. It's definitely got that oatmeal. It's not bad. That's not as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah, to me, this is more stout, stout. Yeah, this is definitely, yeah, definitely a stout. The other one, you could trick yourself into thinking it wasn't. I think I could've been hanging out with you too long. Yeah, been drinking too many of these big boy beers. No, the like the back end's not too strong either. I like it, man. Yeah. It's good. This one is definitely creamy, too. Though. I like it. What do we have to say about it? Milk stout, brewed black toast, flaked oats, malted oats, molasses, and vanilla. This is a money stout, I think. I mean, this is definitely more up the stout that I was thinking it was going to be. But, yeah, you get the nice oatmeal to it. It's creamy. The color, super dark. But, yeah, I, I like it. I was expecting this color out the velvet. <laughs> the velvet was a blonde. That's it's like there's great flavor, but the the back end or the aftertaste disappears real quick, so it's a little different than I expected. Yeah, yeah, but it's good. You're right. The aftertaste is good. It's just gone. You get it hits you with it, and then it's it's gone. It's not a lingering taste. Take that taste buds. Now yeah. It's gone. <laughs> seven seven point two percent. That's not bad at all. That should have sneak up on you. I like this one better than the previous. I would agree. I like the oatmeal better. It's hard telling. I like I like the the stoutness of the oatmeal cream, but I like how confusing the red velvet was. There's so much going on. Yeah, you might need a, like a whole beer of one of those to actually figure it out or something. Yeah, like that. it reminded me of the Neapolitan stout, that, the, where it was like there was something like I like it, and I'm trying to figure out what I like about it. It looks different yeah. than I thought it would. But yeah, I mean, I felt like I might have to drink a whole one of those to really dissect it. 